Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 and a second passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Matthew chapter 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We want to read verses 1 through 6 in Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake, and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin reading with verse 12 through 20. Verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. When we talk about the resurrection of Christ, we realize that it's a fundamental doctrine of Christianity and the importance that's attached to the resurrection of Christ is seen by what Paul said in the Corinthians. He says... If Christ be not risen, your preaching is vain. That means void, of no value. It's robbed of its vitality, of its very life. There's no life to our preaching. It's robbed of its heart. It's emptied of its power. And he says, your faith is also vain. We have an empty faith. That means that we are under a delusion, that our faith is useless and forceless and impotent that it offers no pardon or peace or power or victory. And he says that we're found false witnesses of God, false witnesses of the resurrection of Christ, of the death of Christ and His resurrection. He goes on to say again in verse 17, Your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. Your sins are not forgiven. You're not pardoned. There's no atonement if there be no resurrection. And those that are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. There's no hope for the dead in Christ. There's no hope for this afterlife. And then in verse 19, he says, You're of all men most miserable. But in verse 20, he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead. That means that the Old Testament prophets are true, that the New Testament gospels are true, that the apostles and early Christians bore true witness of the resurrection of Christ that our forgiveness is guaranteed, that we have a promised guide and promised coming of Christ in glory and a promised resurrection of ourselves, that salvation is provided, justification is for us all, and glorification is promised in the future. So, 
we know that Christ is risen from the dead. So it's the resurrection of Christ being a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. It's one of the greatest attested facts in history. Jesus predicted at least six times of his resurrection. In John 2, verse 19, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. They thought he spake, you know, they said, well, 46 years was this temple in building. And are you going to raise it up in six, uh, are you going to raise it up in three days? 46 years it took to build it. But he spake, the Bible says, of the temple of his body. He spake of his resurrection. In John 12, verse 40, it says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. By the way, he said this is the only sign that would be given to that wicked generation, would be his death and his resurrection. They were looking for a sign. He said, if you want a sign, I'll tell you. Three days, I'm going to be resurrected after I'm killed. Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus predicts again his death and his resurrection. Matthew 17, he says in verse 22 and 23, parts of those verses, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. And, shall, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall ri- be raised again. In John 10, verse 18, he speaks of the fact of his resurrection. And he says this, No man taketh it from me, speaking of his life. No man takes my life from me. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. He gave up the ghost. He laid down his life. He says, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. The Bible tells us, that he did exactly that on the cross, the last words of Jesus. He said, Father, into thy hands I yield my spirit. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He could literally lay down his life. You know, there have been people that have wanted to uh, die due to sicknesses and terrible diseases and want to get out of the suffering and pain. But they couldn't do it. But Jesus literally laid down his life. He says, no man takes it from me. You say, well, he was crucified. He was hung on the cross and he would have died. Yes, but he didn't of man's will. He died of his own will. And he laid down his life. In Matthew 20, verses 18, 19, he says, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. So those are at least six different places that Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection. And I want us to consider this morning the resurrection of Christ under four main headings. First of all... This tomb was empty. The fact of the empty tomb and the proclamation of the empty tomb, the reason for the empty tomb, and then the results of the empty tomb. First of all, we have seen in reading in Matthew 28, verse 6, where the angel announced, it says, He is not here, for he is risen. 
as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. So they were invited to come see that the tomb was empty. Here's the fact of the empty tomb that we're talking about. I mean, when it's empty, it's empty. Jesus was not there. Something happened to him. We'll discuss what could have happened. But we know what really did happen. He rose again from the dead. There's a six-fold evidence of the fact of the empty tomb, of a proof of his resurrection. The tomb itself, as we've just referred to. You find it also spoken of in Matthew and Luke 24, verse 3. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus when they entered into the tomb. You find that in Luke 24, verse 3. We find that the stone was rolled away. In Matthew 28, verse 2, we read it in the context. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. When we think of the miracle of the resurrection, the earthquake, here was a manifestation of God's power. There was not only an earthquake, but the angel descending. The great stone was rolled away. Remember, the women were concerned and said, who's going to roll away the stone from the door before they came? God had that taken care of. So we might say that the whole scene was uh, overshadowed or at least uh, maybe revealed more by the miracles that took place of all these things that we've spoken of. So the stone was rolled away. And then the testimony of the living witnesses not only immediately, but all through the book of Acts. They said, Whom God hath raised up, Peter said in Acts 2.14. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Scripture after Scripture in the book of Acts. We'll get some more of that in a little bit where they proclaimed His resurrection. We might say that the transformation of His followers is another evidence of the empty tomb, and of the resurrection of Christ. You know, they were very downhearted and discouraged, and their faith was, you might say, dead. They all forsook Him and fled when He was on the cross. The appearances of Christ had to finally convince them that He was risen again from the dead, and He appeared many times. But their dead faith was brought out of that tomb with Him. Consider Peter. He denied the Lord before Jesus was crucified. He denied him thrice, the Bible says. And he had already said, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He said, though all men forsake you, yet will not I. And yet after the resurrection, it's a different story. When Peter was convinced that Christ was risen from the dead, if you remember in contrast his denial with the fact that on the day of Pentecost... He preached with great authority and great power of the resurrection of Christ without any hindrance whatsoever. I like this part in the Gospel of Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. This was a dawn of a new day, the dawn of a new beginning. This was a darkness before the dawn. You know, we say there's a darkness before the dawn. It's the dawn of a new life. The dawn of a new beginning. The dawn of a new covenant. God had made covenants in the Old Testament with His people. But here He's made the covenant of uh, the testament of the shed blood of Christ. And the guarantee of it was the resurrection of Christ. It's a new day 
And it begins with the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, listen carefully, hath begotten us again, born again, unto a lively or living hope. By what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll get into the fact that uh, faith in His resurrection is necessary for salvation in a little bit. But we want to point out the fact of the empty tomb. The empty tomb itself, the stone was rolled away, the testimony of the living witnesses, the transformation of His followers, especially Peter, and we know the others as well. In fact, the Lord's day is traced back to the resurrection of Christ and not a day beyond. This very day that we're assembled together, not only is it Easter, not only is it the day of resurrection, but each and every Sunday when we assemble together, the first day of the week, the Lord's day. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples, and that means there, the saved ones, came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. So they assembled together on the first day of the week. That's Acts 20, verse 7. So this very Lord's day is a testimony of the resurrection of Christ. And then the sixth thing, we said there are six facts that prove the resurrection and the empty tomb that we're talking about is the continued existence of the Christian church to this day. The fact that today there's New Testament churches all over the world and the church continues. And Jesus had said previously, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some people have said that Christianity will fail upon the earth. No, it will not. Because Jesus will not fail and His church will always be here. And when He comes again, He will find those who have been faithful. And there will be the dead in Christ when Christ's coming that will rise first. And we which are alive and, re- are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that's God's promise. And he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me ask you a question. If you did not believe in a hereafter and a resurrection due to the fact that Christ's resurrection guarantees it, what purpose would you serve of being here in this house this morning? If you did not believe in a hereafter, if you believe that in this life only, that's all, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we're of all men most miserable. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we're all men most miserable. If it does not promise a future beyond this life, what are we doing here? What is there to proclaim? And so we know that the continued existence of the church unto this day is a testimony of the resurrection of Christ. Now then, the proclamation of the empty tomb. What about the proclamation of it? In the proclamation of the empty tomb, there are three groups to be considered. Angelic, demonic, and then the disciples. We've already read where the angel said, He is not here, for He is risen. We've seen, we will see in Matthew 28, where there was resistance against the resurrection, and they were told that they were to say that some came and stole away His body. That was demonic. But yet, nevertheless, the disciples later on proclaimed the resurrection. Let's remember how it was guarded. The tomb was guarded. Think of three things. The civil power, the religious powers, and the military powers. 
First of all, there was a seal set. This is a civil authority or power. I mean, if you're if you have something that's uh, declared to be off limits by the the powers of government, the powers that be, you just don't fool with it. You know, you're going to break the law. So no one was going to come and break that seal. And then the second thing, the religious powers, there was a temple guard as well as the Roman guard. The temple guard, they were there to see to it that nothing happened. And then the military powers, think of the Roman soldiers there with arms. And yet it was proclaimed by the angel that he arose. Remember, it was said that they would, to make it sure as you can. Let's read in Matthew 27, uh, begin with verse 62, Matthew 27, 62. It says, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. They were concerned about that. And they said, Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure. That's when the seal was set. Until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. They said his disciples are going to come and steal him away, and, and therefore they'll claim that he's risen from the dead. So that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. So the Roman government had set a watch. There was a temple guard there. They were all concerned about it because they knew Jesus had predicted. The soldiers made it sure, but we sing a song, Up from the grave he arose, triumph over his foes. We think in the realm of nature as far as the stone being over the door. The stone couldn't keep Jesus away. He came out of the grave. Couldn't keep him sealed. You say, well, he was dead. Yes, but he rose again. We think of the Roman guard and the Roman seal. Did you know that the Roman guard by not keeping this stone sealed and the grave sealed, one of five penalties. First of all, the first penalty was allowing the seal to be broken. That was their job to make sure that the seal was not broken. Secondly, for breaking the seal, if they were to break it. Or the third thing, for stealing the body away. And the fourth, for allowing the body to be stolen. And number five, for going to sleep on duty. And remember when the story was made up, the demonic aspect of it, down in verse 11 of Matthew 28, it says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. They gave the soldiers large sums of money, saying, saying, say, in other words, you say this. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Well, that was a chance they were taking against themselves to admit having gone to sleep. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. If the governor finds out that you went to sleep on the job, we'll persuade him and, and make it all right. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So the devil had a plan to say, well, you know, his body's gone all right, but his disciples came and stole him away while we slept. By the way, does anyone know what happens while you're asleep? Not very much. So we find that the Roman seal, 
was not sufficient. Death tried to do its best to make sure that Jesus could not come out of that grave. The world, the flesh, and the devil conspired to keep him in the grave. They sealed the tomb, but it could not hold him. The Bible says in Acts 2, verse 24, that it was not possible that he could be held in that grave. If the sleeping soldiers would know what took place while they were sleeping. You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine all of the soldiers going to sleep at the same time? I've heard of one man on guard or watch going to sleep, but the others were awake. But every one of them, how, how would it incriminate them by sleeping? And you know, even the devil's lie here could not cover the fact of the empty tomb, but rather proclaimed it. It was admitted by them that, it was, that the tomb was empty. It was proclaimed by the disciples. In Acts 2.24 it says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Acts 3.15, And killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Acts 4, verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Acts 4.33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there's scripture after scripture that we could give you of the resurrection of Christ. It was proclaimed by the disciples, especially in the book of Acts. It was proven by the appearances of Christ. To Mary, he appeared as consoler. To the women, as the embodiment of restored joy. To Simon Peter, as restorer of souls. To the two on the way to Emmaus, as a sympathetic instructor. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, his death and resurrection especially. To all the disciples as a bestower of peace. To Thomas, who was a doubting Thomas, as a confirmer of his faith. He says, except I see, except I put my finger in the place in his hands and in the spear place in his side, I will not believe. And when Jesus appeared to them another time and Thomas was present, he said, Thomas, behold, my hands. Put your finger in there, in the wounds of my hands in my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. You know, he, he didn't even have to do that. He just said, my Lord and my God. The reason for the empty tomb. There are only two alternatives. He was removed by human power or superhuman power. You can make up your mind as to this. If it was superhuman power, the miracle of the resurrection is automatically admitted. If it was human power, it must have been by either a friend or an enemy, friend or foe. Well, now then, if the body was removed by a friend or the disciples... Why would the disciples suffer and even die for a lie that they had created? If they had taken Jesus and destroyed that body somewhere, why would they be so bold as to proclaim the resurrection of Christ throughout the book of Acts and throughout their lives? And every one of the apostles except John the Beloved died a martyr's death, as well as many other Christians that were uh, killed and martyred, burned at the stake and died tormented because of their faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Why would they do this for a lie that they had created? So we can come to the conclusion that the friends or the disciples did not steal away the body. 
Then, if an enemy, if the enemies that wanted to say he was not risen, if they would steal away the body, why not produce the body and silence all the witnesses and put to silence the whole business about Christ's resurrection immediately and there would be nothing today to even talk about? But we know that they couldn't do that. They wanted to keep him in the tomb. Why would they want to steal him away? So that's the reason for the empty tomb. No, we find that the apostles shout that the Jews silence and that the Romans pulling back from their responsibility demonstrate the resurrection of Christ. Now then, the last and I believe a very important part of this message is this. The results of the empty tomb. There are many results, but many of these results uh, pertain to you and I and pertain to our salvation. First of all, let me say that the result, an absolute proof, first thing, is an absolute proof of the deity of Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, we'll read verse 3 as well, 4. Well, let me give you verse 3. It says, concerning His Son, listen, Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, verse 4 says, And declared to be, listen, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So, he's declared to be the Son of God with power. The word declared to be means decisively proven to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection. So he proved himself to be exactly whom he claimed to be and that the Bible claims him to be. That's the one result of the empty tomb or the resurrection of Christ. The second thing is justification for all believers. That means that God has given us his righteousness. In Romans 4 verse 25, it tells us this. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was delivered to the cross for our offenses, our sins, our iniquities. He was raised again from what? The dead? He was raised again for our justification. God declares us to be righteous and just as if we had never sinned. And so justification for believers is provided by Christ's resurrection. The death of Christ is the ground of it, and the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee of it. And then the third thing, faith in the resurrection of Christ is essential to our salvation. You must believe in Christ crucified, but you must believe also, if you're to be saved, in Christ resurrected. The Bible says, listen carefully, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, listen what? That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Shall believe in thine heart, what? That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So faith in his resurrection is essential to our salvation. That's Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if you care to look. The fourth thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is God's pledge of a future judgment. The Bible says in Acts 17, verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. What is a guarantee of a future judgment? God has said, I've appointed a day, 
I'm going to judge the world by that man that I've ordained, who is Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And he's given assurance or guarantee of this judgment by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now, you may not want to admit it, but God is going to judge you on the basis of the fact that uh, he has raised up a judge, or at least by whom he's going to judge you, is that he's raised up a judge from the dead. The Bible tells us in Rome, uh, not Romans, but in John chapter 5, that Jesus Christ is the one that God has committed judgment unto. He says he's committed all judgment unto the Son. Unto the Son. The Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So that in Acts 17, verse 31, it says he's, a, he's appointed one. He's appointed a day as well as the person by whom the world will be judged. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that it is appointed a man once to die. And after that, after this, what? The judgment. You may say, well, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, that's up to you. But I'll guarantee you this, that God raised up Christ as a guarantee of it. And the Bible tells us that there will be a judgment for all of us. There's the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And there's a great white throne judgment for those who have rejected Jesus during this day and age of grace. You have an opportunity now for uh, salvation while you have life and hope. And then the last thing, it's a striking pattern. The resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb, is a striking pattern and guarantee of our own resurrection. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. We gave you this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become, listen to this word, the first fruits of them that slept. In the Old Testament, the first fruits were spoken of in such a way as that there was a harvest in the field. And the first ripe grain was brought in and was weighed before the priest as a promise and a pledge and a sample of that harvest to come. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. What does it mean? It means that it's just like this, his resurrection, that we're going to be raised again, that there is a future resurrection. See that wave? Offering that was weighed before the priest of the sheaf of the first fruits was a guarantee that out in the field there was a harvest to come. It was a pledge and a promise that there would be the harvest to come. And it was a sample of that harvest to come. So the Bible says that, that uh, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That's the promise of the harvest that's to come. The Bible tells us in First Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe it's beginning with verse 13. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's the dead in Christ. That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died, listen, and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent... The word means proceed or go before them which are asleep. And he says the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the Bible says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He says, I don't want you to sorrow as those that have no hope. They were sad. I played on the word, you know, 
We talk about the Sadducees that believe that there is no resurrection or no hereafter. And that's why they're sad, you see, is because they have no hope and they sorrow. So we find that uh, Jesus has promised that we're going to, that he's the first fruits and afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So what is, what's the sum of what we want to understand? The results of the empty tomb is a proof of Christ's deity. Justification for believers is provided. Faith in his resurrection is essential to our salvation. It's God's promise of a future judgment. And it's a striking pattern of our own resurrection in due time when that time shall come.